0: Open your Bibles up. We're going to look at three passages in the discussion tonight. And I told you last week that uh, one of the things I thought about doing uh, the next time again, remember for those that had been coming regularly, we were going through Luke and up to the 21st chapter. And we got off last time, and then uh, this time I'm going to give you a, a synopsis of this book by Lagarde Smith the second coming of Sodom, and I forget, but there were several of you here last time that uh, said you had that book. Mark has it. Is there anybody else that has? Uh, Jack, have you started on it, Jack? I've mm-hmm. started. I didn't get too oh, far. Okay. But it's, uh, anyway, I'd like to do it from the standpoint of encouraging you to get a copy, because it's, uh, it's good material in the sense that the man that wrote it, uh, uh, he is a lawyer, a Christian lawyer. He teaches law at Pepperdine University and practices criminal, has practiced criminal law. And so all the information is well documented. Uh, the bibliography is great and all the information is documented. But there's a lot of information here that is totally different than what is being portrayed in this area uh, in the news media and in the newspapers. And I think it's good to, to know the information and to know what is being taught out there that not only is wrong, but in many cases, the people that are pushing the information uh, know that it's wrong. Uh, first, uh, before looking at it, last week we were looking at the uh, Sermon on the Mount, the starting of it in the fifth chapter, and we'll look at a few passages there and then something in Romans and Leviticus 18 to set the basis for the study. Uh, Last week, we spent our emphasis on the 13th through the 16th verse with the statement that Jesus' disciples were to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, and we discussed all that was involved in that. Then, tonight, I'd like to read and then look at briefly to set the stage for this thing—the uh, 17th through the, let's see, 20th verse. Would you read that, Mark, please? First, Mark. do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth: until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter. look at the statement there Jesus when he, after talking about them being the light of the world doesn't want anybody to have an understanding of his purpose that he came to abolish them but, but rather to fulfill the law and then he says uh, in verse 19 whoever practices and teaches the commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven and then he goes on to say that your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law now to show you that he's talking about the fact that God's commands his moral commands in the Old Testament were eternal and were not going to be done away with in the new covenant right after making this statement about the law notice then how the sermon is built in verse 21 you've heard that it was said do not commit do not murder And again, I'm not going to read that, but you know from your reading and study of that passage, uh, they have kind of watered that down a little, haven't they? They have limited only to a physical act. Uh, He makes it clear that God looks on the heart and that you can actually hate somebody and be a murderer uh, in the eyes of God, even though people do not throw you in jail or take your life in this society. But he definitely did not take anything away from the command, thou shalt not commit murder, Rather, he dealt with the fact that a number of religious people had worked out an understanding where they thought they were keeping the law if they refrained from murdering somebody, even though they may hate them in their heart. And he's saying that no, to murder comes about as a result of hatred. If you hate in the heart, then in the eyes of God that uh, you are a murderer. All right, then the same thing with adultery. Look at verse 27. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Well, again, he takes absolutely nothing away from this command, but he makes it clear again that you get into the heart. Uh, what you deal with there, for example, that uh, would probably be a good passage dealing with pornography today. Uh, he said, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery uh, in his heart. Uh, so that, that not only the actual physical act, but the act comes about because of a thinking uh, that a person does in advance, and so he gets into the real thinking process. Alright, then, uh, we come on down and uh, let's see, over to verse 43, I'll skip on down, he did another specific command, uh, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies. Uh, again, one of the commands, in fact, the one Jesus said was the greatest, was remember, love God, and then love your neighbor as yourself. But they had worked out an interpretation that permitted them to hate their enemies. So he challenged that interpretation. He says, "No, that's that's not entailed. When when God when the command said love your neighbor, that includes everybody, uh, even your enemies." All right. Suffice it to say that Jesus makes it very clear in the sermon that his purpose in coming, although individuals were going to be saved in him. And that we have statements like, the law was given by Moses, and grace and truth came through Christ. And everybody was going to be saved by grace through faith. But the truth of the matter is, is even under the law of Moses, everybody was saved by grace through faith, right? Nobody perfectly kept the law, and that's what he, one of the ways he made so many enemies among the religious leaders. But we can see in this, this sermon here, Jesus in no sense came to loosen the law or to take it away, or to say that it no longer applied. In fact, he was a perfect person in the keeping of the law. Uh, your, your need for salvation in Christ is not because there's anything wrong with the law, but for what reason we need to be saved in Christ. We, we simply break the law, don't we? We fall short. Uh, in fact, is there any such thing as sin unless you have a law? It's, it's not even there. So the need for salvation in Christ is not because there's any problem with the law. The, the law of the Lord is perfect, uh, Psalms 19. Uh, the problem has always been man. And so Jesus is dealing with apparently a concept that some of them have that with all his talk about grace and, and forgiveness and and his association with uh, the publicans and the harlots and the others that they wouldn't speak to that he was thinking that that somebody there may interpret the fact that that he's come to just abolish the law, to take it away, that it was no longer applicable and so he spends this time, as, as recorded by Matthew, making it clear that God's eternal truths expressed in his law were not to be done away with, and he didn't come to do away with them. He actually came to fulfill them. Now, the reason for that is because when we get into the study for tonight, uh, one of the arguments that has, in fact, the greatest argument uh, for accepting homosexuals without repentance of their homosexuality within the church, uh, ordaining homosexual ministers uh, that has liberal ministers out parading for gay rights and things of this nature is, is the belief uh, fostered on, on a teaching that says the only law is the law of love, and that uh, uh, these various commands pertaining to conduct are really not applicable to the 20th century. They were applicable to them. That's the way they were brought up. That was their their culture and everything like that, and therefore that they were something they applied. But in reality, the only law is love, and that man has evolved to the state now and has grown spiritually so that now that we, we have the maturity to realize that any act between human beings is fine as long as it's out of love and you have consenting human beings involved. And so with this, with this belief, uh, homosexuality, as something that is to be accepted by Christians and not to be denounced and all, has slipped into the church. And this is why some of them are, you, you may see them ordaining homosexuals and think, well, don't they understand that passage the way I do? You know and that they do understand it, uh, just the way you do, but it's their, their understanding of the thing that we just uh, talked about. Now, having said that, flip over here to Romans, the uh, first chapter, and uh, beginning with verse 18, and again, we, just, we want to get these biblical passages in a quick way so we can spend our time on the, the subject. <coughs> Uh, Mark, would you read that, please? The just uh, uh, read about uh, half of that down, and then Howard, you can just pick up after Mark, and let's finish on down through the end of that first chapter, starting with verse 18. <coughs> How
1: far do you
0: say you want me to read? Uh, start with verse 18. And we're going to read through the end of the first chapter, so we read just about half of it, I guess, through about verse 27, and then higher and pick up at about verse 28.
1: Okay. The wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all the godly, godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for life, and worshipped and served (coughs) created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for
0: their perversion.
2: And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind and to things that should not be done. They were filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, craftiness. (coughs) They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, haughty, boastful, Inventors of evil, rebellious toward parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They know God's decree that those who practice such th- things deserve to die. Yet they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them.
0: All right. Notice the basis for the conduct in verse 25. They exchange the truth of God for a lie. And then the end result is they become so perverted in their thinking, thinking that uh, that women exchange the natural relations for unnatural ones, uh, men uh, uh, burning in their lust one for another, and then he speaks of it as perversion contrary to nature, refers to it as uh, God giving them over to a deprived mind, depraved mind, and then continues on, and we see the context that he, that he puts that in. Now, it's interesting when you read this. Uh, so far as Paul's statements there, that the cultural that that Paul wrote in, uh, the, the Roman culture at this time, had a very high percentage of homosexuals. Uh, in fact, in studying history, uh, looking back through the centuries, there has been no cultural that we've uncovered yet that had the high percentage of homosexuality as we find in the Greek and Roman culture. Uh, Fourteen of the last fifteen emperors were either homosexual or bisexual. Uh, Bisexual was very common. I point that out to say that when Paul makes these strong statements, this is not a product of the age he's in. He's standing at variance uh, with the age he's in. This was their culture. This is something that they accepted, and he stands right in the face of it. Now, Is it, before we move on to the next place and then look at the book, based on your own logic, if you were not even into the Bible, uh, is that too strong a statement to refer to homosexuality as uh, perversion or something that is contrary to what is natural? I mean, how would you defend that if uh, you were challenged and uh, somebody says, "What do you mean? You know, perversion are, are contrary to what is natural, or contrary to to nature? Uh, how would you how would you argue that?"
2: You don't see that kind of behavior in, in lower animals. Okay. For the most part, I mean, there there are a few minor exceptions that I have heard of, but you don't you don't typically see that. I think that's one thing. I mean, you could look at it as being against nature. In that sense because lower animals you know, their instincts don't lead them to those
0: type of things. Okay so when we, we deal with animals that do not have reasoning capacity in the way that we do and do not function in the realm of love in the way we do in the same in the, in the, in the anywhere near the sense that we do and pursue only the uh, life from a physical standpoint we, don't, we find this is a negligible type thing it's just almost non-existent you know, then we, we, looking through the animals. All right, then when we look at uh, humanity from a sheer number standpoint, it is always, if we look at cultures as a whole, all through the centuries, it stands as the exception to the rule, right? Just a small percent of the population. We'll look at that, just how small, uh, later on. But yet there's been certain individual cultures that there was a lot of it uh, at, a, at a particular time. By the way, what would this indicate to your mind if we can go back and study cultures, and here we have a lot of homosexuals and lesbians, and then we have a culture over here where it almost does not exist, and then some over here where we have a few. What does that suggest to your mind so far as the, uh, the causes that are involved in this type of behavior? It looks like it'd be cultural instead of biologically okay if it were a biological thing wouldn't you expect the percentage uh... to be similar no, no matter what that the fact that we can go back and look at uh... the greek uh... culture and and see a very heavy number and the same of the roman and yet we look at other cultures and by the way even uh... uh... cultures that going back uh... uh at the time the old uh, before the law of moses and during the law of moses among the Philistines and people like that, it's always been a behavior that was looked down on. In fact, there have been uh, uh, societies that would not tolerate it at all. And it's always been something that was an aberration from the norm, going all the way back through history, and yet we find certain cultures, and maybe certain isolated cultures in certain parts of the world, where we'll have it as a, a dominant feature. Some cultures, as high as 50%. Okay. Now the reason this is going to become important, because we, we're going to nail down the, the cause of it, and also you, you're going to deal with this concept of, of just how important is it uh, to, uh, your, for your children to be brought up in a society where it is taught as an alternative lifestyle and something that is acceptable and something that is natural and a matter of choice. Uh, as long as the biology is correct on your child, is there absolutely no chance that they can be caught up in this and, and led astray? Well, that's something that that we all at least need to know the facts and, and where we stand in, in that area. Okay. Uh, Paul then wrote contrary to the culture. Now, another thing that would be an evidence of looking at it as something unnatural or a perversion, if you were to Ask a biologist uh, to uh, describe human beings, males and females. He would have no problem. Just as he looks at, uh, for example, uh, I've got three pear trees planted down to the front because I found I found out when I wanted to plant a pear tree that you can't plant one. They, they cross pollinate. Uh, you've got to have the, both the male and the and the female. And there are a number of things that are that way. And so, the, when we look at uh, mankind, the biologist uh, tells us that the the male body is specifically designed to complement the female body, and the female body is specifically designed to complement the others. And I don't, uh, in other words, if he was, I'm saying, if he was talking with a homosexual, that's a good question to ask. In other words, the body itself is made to complement the opposite sex. Now. To show you how important that will be later on is when we get into what is actually done in the behavior and get into the subject of AIDS and some of the other diseases that exist simply because that the body itself is not designed to be used in the way that they are using it and the behavior they're incurring. All right, now, hold your place here. I'll, just, I'll move on over here to Leviticus 18. This will be the last place we'll look at before take a look at uh, LaGarde's book. Let's see, I think it'd be good here, to, even though it's a little time-consuming, uh, to read that entire chapter in Leviticus the 18th, and uh, let's see, we'll start with, uh, see, Becky, you want to start there in the 18th chapter in Darren. I am the Lord your God. Okay, hold your place there And in, in relative to all the various commands that he gave I'll just read this That, that he gave uh, And I'm in the 15th chapter of uh, Exodus uh, In verse 26 He said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees i will not bring on you any of the diseases that i brought on the egyptians for i am the lord that heals you okay Uh, an extremely good book we've mentioned before is the book none of these diseases uh, dealing with the law of moses and the benefits of following it in contrast to the practices of the people of that day now Notice again in Leviticus that he mentions that this is what defiled the people and the land vomited them out, and also he makes it clear that that this is all something that was practiced uh, at this time, and as the the Israelites went into the land, they were to conduct themselves in a different way. Notice also that that he doesn't just deal with uh, uh, homosexuality when it comes to heterosexuality. Uh, we can know from a standpoint of the Bible, heterosexuality is not just a matter of following your, orient- your sexual orientation, is it? I mean, from a standpoint of your, your biological sexual orientation, uh, men are si- sim- uh, simply attracted to females, and, and, and that would, or females to males, and that, that would be it. I mean, that's the sexual orientation. But we see he gets into the relationship, uh, brothers and sisters, I mean, from a standpoint of orientation, what is the difference between brothers and sisters having relations or anyone else? Yeah, I mean, you the, so far as the physical body is concerned and the orientation, and then when he gets into the all the other relationships that he mentions there, the close and kin and all. In other words, I'm saying that that even the heterosexuals were never just turned loose to pursue just the desires of their own body. Now, I go into this because when we get a little bit into the, the talking about um, homosexuals, one of the things, if you've ever had any experience in studying or reasoning with a homosexual, one of the things that they will bring up is that, that I can stop this behavior, but I cannot stop uh, my orientation. Uh, and so take his word for it right then. You know, we may... Uh, feel different from some other information, but take his word. Let's say that he is, that there is something, there is something beyond his control, has nothing to do with the environment or anything, and so he is oriented uh, in that direction. Let him know, and this is a good place to, to look, that, that God hasn't turned heterosexuals uh, loose to just simply do whatever they wanted to do in the sexual realm. And if it is possible, for a heterosexual to control himself or herself in in a direction that they are definitely oriented, then why why cannot a homosexual, if he is oriented in that direction, still just as easily control his behavior? And then, of course, we could go even further than this and point out that, uh, from God's standpoint, that all sexual relations of a heterosexual nature outside of marriage are wrong. And so if a heterosexual is operating as a Christian and he's in his late teens or early twenties, and even though the, the hormones are, are saying yes, you've still got God's Word saying no and demanding that control be exercised until marriage itself. And so then ask the person, Does, if he is desirous or oriented towards someone of the same sex, does he really believe that his orientation or desire is stronger than people, heterosexuals of the opposite sex? So, And yet God expects them to control that desire. So what I'm trying to say here is that get across to this person or to anybody that is reasoning on that behalf that from God's standpoint, there's, nobody's pulling a fast one and demanding something of them that's not demanding of all, all of us. Are in a realm where we have to control ourselves. Now, here's another thing to notice in this, and by the way, what you just read here in Leviticus, when you go back and read the literature of this time and the writings and the tablets that we have, uh, Moses is right on. This is the way these people lived and this is what they practiced. Now, what does that say to you if mankind is turned loose without any commands or any laws of God. And God is out of the picture. And man is there of his own mind to pursue and develop life for himself. What is this saying? Wipe God out of the picture. Just wipe God out of the picture, or let's keep God in, but let's take a revelation out of the picture. How do you go about saying any of that is wrong? How would you argue against it?
1: You couldn't really just try it just being wrong or anything. You can not really say it's wrong if there's no laws or anything. Right. If you take God out of the picture, then why not just go out and live it up? you would say.
0: Sure. What about uh, beastology? Could you prove that's wrong? Without God. Uh, what about, uh, there's an organization called the North American Man-Boy Love Organization. By the way, they're pro for they're they're pulling strong for the homosexual agenda also. But they're, I don't know if you've heard of that organization. It's called North American Man Boy Love Association, and they are actually lobbying and petitioning uh, for the right of men uh, to have relations and to live with young boys. Uh, and by the way, this is something that was practiced in the days of Paul, and obviously it was was practiced here. And, of course, all you have to do is keep up with the news to know that it's, it's almost a weekly affair anymore, isn't it, when we find some older person molesting a young child. In fact, some of the things they do is probably so far out that most of us probably have a hard time understanding even the desire that's there or, or what it is that causes these people to think uh, in, in the way they do, but yet they're doing it. But what does this say then if, let's say here in our own country, (laughs) if we're going to kick the Bible out and we're going to kick Christianity out as an influence, uh, what is going to happen a generation or two down the pike in our own society? The same stuff will be happening now. Same thing. In fact, we're headed in that direction, and I don't believe any of the younger people can fully appreciate that as much as, as my age and older that, that realize that there are things that are just uh, accepted now that would have been shocking a generation back. I mean, it was just unheard of. In fact, to show you how far out it is, that uh, when some, the first person that used the term gay, in the sense they, they use it, uh, I heard when I was 18, and I don't know what he's talking about. You know, the, he said, are you gay? And I said, what do you mean? I mean, that's how naive I was at, eight, at 18 years of age. And then he followed up, well, do you like guys? Well, of course, I could relate to that, right? But even then, <laughs> even then, all the way up into, I guess, my 30s, I really had no full knowledge of what these people did you know I knew you know I knew the meaning of the word sodomy and so I, I I gathered from reading and all like that that they engaged in oral sex with one another but that was it I didn't know it went any further I didn't I didn't I didn't even the idea of anal relationships between males was something I, I would have never it would have never dawned on me I would have never thought of it uh, And and yet of course that is a very big part of their relationship and by the way That is the the predominant way for the the spreading of AIDS. Okay, we have then something in the law of Moses that is separate and apart from the culture of that day. Uh, Moses didn't derive that from reading any of the books that was available to him or studying any of the cultures because this is the way the whole culture was. In Egypt and among the pagans, these things were being practiced... And yet he's given this very strict code that just totally rejects that. And when Paul says what he did in the New Testament, again, it comes from that same type of culture. And then, of course, we read the statement about Jesus and, and God's law. I would suggest to you that good and what we call morality only exist in the world to the extent that God's word has been influential that it just simply doesn't exist anywhere uh, where God's Word has not, in, whether you're talking about even murder that man is no more than an animal when it comes to taking his life in any society that has not been influenced by the Bible and so that if we are going to allow our society and what is happening now Christians are being led to believe that we ought not to be vocal in speaking up for morality that we have no right. Have you ever heard this term? You cannot legislate morality. What about that? Can you can you uh, legislate morality? You may not effectively, but uh, do we have laws that say it's wrong to murder? Do we have laws that say it's wrong to steal what belongs to another person? Do we have wrong laws that say it's wrong to commit perjury? Well, is that legislating morality? If we take it upon ourselves to say it's wrong to murder, it's wrong to lie, it's wrong to steal, do right now on the books, do we have laws that say it's wrong for, uh, even in heterosexual relations, for an older person to have relationship with a person under a certain age? We do. But it's interesting, all right, then I'm saying when people mention that, then you ask them, do you want to do away with the law, thou shalt not kill, or steal, or perjury? Or do you think that we should do away with the law to protect younger people, and so that it would no longer be against the law? That 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 means if if, uh, some of these men that are in jail now uh, molest younger boys and girls who really don't even know what's going on. And many times, they are involved in this for a period of years before they become enlightened to the fact that something is wrong uh, going on uh, if it's not if we're not going to have laws there then that's not wrong is it there's no wrong and and if uh, if, uh, heterose- if homosexuals want to adopt little boys and then have sexual relations with them and train them up in that way then that would be okay wouldn't it in other words I'm saying when you get down to the bottom line most people really don't believe that, that we do legislate morality. The question is, what kind of morality are we going to legislate? But we, we do legislate it. And, it. and it may be that you what what they mean when they say you can't legislate morality now this is the sense that, that, that what is being said is accurate if you are trying to legislate a form of morality that may be right and correct But if the majority of the population will not accept it, then you cannot legislate it. And so if we reach a point in our society where these things are no longer thought of as wrong by the majority, then they're right. You cannot legislate morality in that sense. For example, you cannot put a 20-mile-an-hour speed limit on a six-lane highway unless you've got a policeman. Uh, every couple of miles, because people are just not going to respect it. it. It it seems absurd to them, and they're they're not they're not going to respect it. Now, this was true with prohibition, wasn't it? Uh, the majority of the people want to drink in our society, so therefore we had to do away with the laws uh, against it. And so, in that sense, it's accurate. But we do legislate morality. The question is, it, is what kind are we going to legislate? Okay, uh, here now I'll go quickly, hopefully through here. And again, I have one simple purpose, and that is to persuade you to, to get the book and read it for yourself and to be aware of the, the information. This is the gay rights platform drawn up by the National Coalition of Gay Organizations. Now, here's the good thing about this book. So many times when you say something, people will say, maybe somebody of the opposite persuasion, well that's not so, and it's like you made it up or you're misrepresenting them. Well, the good thing about the, the way he's put the book together is he's documented everything. All right, now here is, the, here is the agenda of the gay rights organization. Number one, repeal all laws prohibiting private sexual acts involving consenting persons repeal number 2 repeal all laws prohibiting prostitution both male and female number 3 repeal of, repeal of all laws governing the age of sexual consent and by the way the north american man boy love association had a big part in putting that in number 4 repeal all, repeal of all legislative provisions that restrict the sex our number of persons entering into a marriage unit, and the extension of legal benefits to all persons who cohabit regardless of sex or numbers. Number five, enactment of legislation so that child custody, adoption, visitation rights, foster parenting, and the like, shall not be denied because of sexual orientation or marital status. Number six, encouragement and support For sex education courses, prepared and taught by gay women and men, presenting homosexuality as a valid, healthy preference and lifestyle as a viable alternative to heterosexuality. Okay? This is the agenda. And when you read of something like what's going on with the military, and you think that, uh, hey, we fought them back on that one, but we didn't fight them back completely, did we? They got the, the the foots in the door. You can no longer ask a person, are they a homosexual, before they sign and, and enter the military. And if they are homosexual, you can no longer dismiss them uh, or, or, or go on, be on the look for it or anything like that. You would have to actually catch them involved in the behavior it, itself, and then you've still got a process to go through. Well. If you go back and look at history, what you'll find is that anything that moves in the direction of a great change does not take place overnight. You first get your foot in the door and you go a little bit, and then you go a little bit further. And so, the homosexuals are very happy, even though they're acting like they're they're disappointed with Clinton, because they, they're further now than they've ever been before. Okay, now, just a note on that. One of the things that you mentioned, it uh, seems like I heard something happened recently
2: about that too, about the extension of benefits and so on, about like, you know how insurance policies, um, people have insurance policies at work. Right. And for instance, if you have an insurance policy where you work that covers your spouse and your family and so on like that, there was a case I know that they brought up about a situation with a homosexual couple that were living together, and they wanted to try and get the insurance to cover his significant other as they brought it to it, you know, his homosexual lover. Right. And it seems like they won that case. I can't well, remember where it was. what will happen,
0: and the same in the military, if you accept... See, really, the Congress did not take the stand that they did because of moral beliefs. It's hard to find some more immoral people than what we got in Congress. It's economics that won the day. Uh, what really persuaded them and, and beat down the plan was no up, no real stand for morality. But these homosexuals that are in the military, of course, with the military, everybody knows, goes total medical care for the man and his dependents. And so that means that all any homosexual with AIDS would have to do is hook into a partnership with another homosexual in the military, and then all of a sudden, our government becomes responsible for supplying 100% medical care for that individual. And, and then you can extend the family. Uh, from from that point on and so what really fought it back was uh, it wasn't more it was not moral principles and it wasn't any giving in to the people that said they didn't want to serve with them or anything like that but it, it was the, the economics. In fact, one of the things we're finding out in our society is that uh, sin is bad economics. it's, it's very very costly uh, whether you're ta- uh, for example uh, in our society, Unwed mothers who have babies cost us 16 to $17 billion a year in today's money. And, that, and, and that's uh, up quite a bit from what it was some time back. AIDS uh, among homosexuals is right now costing the society billions of dollars. And the same is true with the people, the heterosexuals that are loose with themselves in other ways. Uh, society pays for it. All right, here is, uh, oh, by the way, another, uh, you mentioned a court ruling, Uh, we was watching this the other night, and I forget what it was, it's one of the news programs, and this lady conceived a child outside of marriage, and so she had the child and was raising it. Well, she developed a friendship with a homosexual male, and so he actually... Uh, he agreed to have his name put on the birth certificate, and so the child was growing up thinking that was his father. But in reality, it's, it was just a friend platonic relationship uh, between the her and the man, and the uh, and you know the the child was just being brought up not knowing the difference there. Well, then what happened is she became concerned about some of the homosexual practices and some of the things that was being taught uh, to this little girl brought up in that environment. And so she broke away, broke the relationship, and left. Well, he sued and wanted visitation rights as a father, and he won. Well, then after he won, she took the child and ran. Well, the law got her and brought her back, and so they took the child away from her. He now has the child in full custody, and she has visitation rights and she can only have supervised visitation rights. So right now, she got the child again and took off, and she's a fugitive right now, and they're having to go hide it. But uh, I'm, I'm saying that is how much the law would not have even considered that a few years back, and that's how much that it has changed. Okay, here is, uh, again, this is taken from the gay agenda as to how they plan to go about accomplishing what they want in society. By the way, they are very well funded. Uh, We give our money at church to benevolent causes and things of this nature. They give their money to promote this. And because, if you're wondering how such a few people can have such a great influence, it's because of money. Uh, They are pumping a tremendous, uh, and by the way, homosexuals tend to uh, be wealthier on the average, and heterosexuals, because after all, you have—if you've got two men living together that are each earning a living and no children involved, and you've got two women living together, each earning a living—on the whole, the typical homosexual couple tends to have a greater income, with no responsibilities, and the same with the with, same is true with the women. And so, literally billions of dollars is being poured into this agenda. Okay. Well, I'm just kind of surprised that uh, the statistic
2: the other day, if you can remember
0: what was, as to how many lovers a homosexual will have on the average? Yeah, we'll get, what she's mentioning is the homosexual relation is quite different than heterosexual at its worst, that uh, uh, an average homosexual will have about 125 or so different partners uh, in, his, in his lifetime, that uh, what they portray on the media is these long-range commitments but any kind of long-range commitment in the homosexual realm is an aberration. It's, it's not true to norm. Uh, five years is extremely long for a homosexual couple. That uh, they tend to have very short relationships. It is almost 100% physical. And when they go to the places where they uh, meet partners and all, it's not unusual for a homosexual to have relations with a number of different partners that he's never even met before in the, in the same night. Okay, here are some of the things that, that they have worked out and it's part of their format to promote what they want. Number one, boldly claim freedom from social restraint and demand independence from moral order. Number two, associate homosexuals with others in order to achieve legitimacy. Number three, depict decent folks with traditional family values as the bad guys. Number four, promote the proven lie that gays constitute 10% of the population. So there is legitimacy through sheer numbers. Has everybody heard that number of 10%? Uh this is the number that in all their literature that they promote and what it goes back to is a study of Kinsey in 1948 well the study's been thrown completely out I mean uh, to show you some of the flaws in it if you go to a homosexual bar and and see how what percentage of the people in there are homosexual you might get ninety percent and by the way if you if you know anything about the studies of Kinsey you know that uh, this was the flaw of all of Kenzie's writings, that uh, there, was, there was absolutely uh, nothing that was unbiased or nothing that a uh, big chunk of the society. The, uh, the surveys that have been taken in France and the U.S. and other places would indicate that a true percentage would be somewhere between 1 and 3 percent. That, pardon me, a true percentage of actual practicing homosexuals. And what they do in trying to get as many as they can (coughs) that in their surveys, anybody that's ever had a thought in that direction, even though they've never experienced it or expressed it or anything, they would classify as homosexual. Only society is holding that person back. (coughs) Uh, Anybody who has, uh, sometimes young people, do a lot of things in experimentation and then they get their head on right and they, and they, and they go. Well, anybody that has ever uh, experimented with any of this type of behavior as a young person may be influenced by older homosexuals and all. Well, they would take into that number when in reality, that may not be a part of that person's life at all. But anybody, anyway, I, I won't go into it because the, the book does and the information is there. But you can legally document that it is totally dishonest to use any figure over 1 to 3% of the population. And by the way, you can also document, and he's got that in here, they know this. Uh, they, they willfully are using the figures simply because it's, it's to their advantage. And the interesting thing, of course, is that the media continues to go along with them on the use of the figures. Uh, another part is to enlist science and medicine in a bogus search for some genetic cause for homosexual behavior. Obviously, if there's a genetic cause, then all of a sudden it becomes something of God. Uh, God surely couldn't condemn a type of conduct that uh, he brings about himself. Just another way of justifying it in their own minds. Right, it's right, to justify in the mind. And by the way, one of the things he does a good job with, guilt, the the word gay, if ever there was a, a misused word, Guilt is rampant among homosexuals. They do not live as long as heterosexuals. They experience many more diseases and problems along the way. Depression is common among them. All the problems associated with guilt, their homosexuals on a percentage basis are much more apt to have to go to a a psychiatrist or to have problems uh, than what we would call a normal individual. Uh, Their lifestyle leads them to anything but uh, any kind of a gay life. That all of the laughing and the talk is just that. It's, it's really a portrayal of something that is not there. Uh, they, another part, another function, they actually are working to find creative ways to sidestep what the Bible teaches about homosexual conduct, open the door to the church and get its blessing for homosexual expression. Uh, when these uh, uh, liberal theologians uh, endorse them, marry them, uh, ordain them, uh, they, they know, in fact, that they only in their own writings they make the statement they can never be successful in our society without the endorsement of the church. Break down legal restrictions against sodomy and instead establish legal restrictions against discrimination. Dismantle the American family and make it possible for gays to marry and adopt children and perpetuate myths about heterosexual uh, AIDS so that the disease becomes a political asset. Now, there's a whole chapter in here. In fact, I've copied it, and I'm going to make some more to circulate among the principals. We have a a family life curriculum that we have to teach the last part of the year dealing with AIDS and sexual diseases. And so I copied one chapter and I'm circulating it among the principals to make it a part of the curriculum itself, because he uses nothing but statistics in it. But his chapter on the myth of the spread of AIDS, if you'll notice that all the information now is designed to tell you it's just as bad, as bad among heterosexuals as it is on, on the homosexual people, and it's really a threat to us, and every time a heterosexual has AIDS, they make a big deal on it. Well, of course, this is essential to them for funding they know that we're not gung-ho about putting billions of dollars, uh, the majority of us, into something that is primarily affecting only male homosexuals. And yet that, that, that's the case. Alright, now everybody's, I'll use Magic Johnson because everybody's familiar with him. Magic Johnson got AIDS and he says, you know, in a heterosexual way. But there's several things interesting about Johnson. One is At a time when he was carrying the, I should say HIV virus, not AIDS, at the time he was carrying the HIV virus, for a long period of time, he and this girl that he married, Cookie, they were living together and having normal and unprotected sexual relations. She never got it. She lived with him several years before she found out that he had the HIV virus And yet, even in an unprotected way, she never did pick it up from him. And that's despite the fact that it's easier for a woman to pick it up from a man than it is a man from a woman. Okay? Despite all the talk, the vast majority of of prostitutes, female prostitutes, do not have the HIV virus. And even in areas where they have had relations with any number of bisexual men who have the HIV virus, the vast majority, we're down to just a fraction of a percent of these homosexual, of of the, the prostitutes, actually are coming down with HIV virus. In Africa, there's all this talk about the population of Africa is going to be wiped out with the HIV virus and with AIDS. But what they don't tell is that those people are very unsophisticated in their diagnosis of any disease. When we go over and, and doctors are double-checking, we're finding out that just about anything over there is being classified uh, as HIV virus. In fact, they've even got a lot of people with very little education that are scared to even go to the doctor because they're scared that they'll be diagnosed as having the HIV virus and they know there's no cure for this. What they're doing is they're classifying tuberculosis, malaria, anything that that gives any of these symptoms is being diagnosed as HIV virus. The truth is, the HIV virus is not near, anywhere near as prevalent in Africa, uh, as the the media said. Now, to give you an idea of some of the things that were said here, and more is coming out now. This is on the chapter on the myth about heterosexual AIDS. The year is 1987. Oprah Winfrey dramatically opened her show. Okay, this is 1987. Women living with AIDS, the ominous words. Uh, hello, everybody. AIDS has both sexes running scared. Research studies now project that one in five, listen to me, hard to believe, one in five heterosexuals could be dead from AIDS at the end of the next three years. Well, the next three years was 1990. That's by 1990. One in five. It's no longer just a gay disease. Believe me, it's a disease of heterosexuals. We're now several years beyond 1990. Not one in five, not one in 10, not one in a 100, not even one in 3,500 heterosexuals uh, have died from AIDS. And then he goes on to point out that despite all this we keep hearing it remains predominantly a homosexual disease. Now, it has got into the heterosexual family through intravenous drug use and through the blood supply. And except for that, negligible. Almost not at all. And the reason is that, and he he does a real good job on this part, is the the AIDS virus is a real, fragile virus. If, for example, when you compare it to hepatitis B, and, and I know in, the, in our system now, we're more, as, we're more concerned about hepatitis B than we are AIDS. In fact, uh, myself and some of the others at the school where I'm principal will be taking on hepatitis B shots in, in the not-too-distant future. Hepatitis B is more than 100 times easier to transmit than the AIDS virus. All right, what happens in the relationship with homosexual male males, it's primarily in their anal relationship. The, the anus on the, on the human being is very absorbent. And the reason it is, as, as the waste comes through your body, we all know that it's, it's in the large intestine or the colon there, that the water is absorbed back into your system and used. And so the, that whole area is very efficient. In other words, it's made to be very absorbent, so that it absorbs the water back into the system before the waste come, before the waste comes out and recirculates it and cleans it in the, in the body. Well, because it is so absorbent and it's so easily punctured and and the the skin torn all that it means that it is. Almost impossible for those people, if they have it, to have animal relations unprotected and not to transmit the disease. And the absolute number one way uh, is the, in other words, when these same males who have the disease actually have AIDS, have relations with a woman, unless she is in her period. Now it would be different because you would have you would have blood contact. But if the woman is not in a period, then they have relations, and they can document it and keep up with it, by the thousands, before you begin to have maybe something like a a, a one in every so many thousandth that will come down with the disease itself. In other words, that the, the relationship with the male and the female is one where the parts of the body are designed for the function itself, and therefore we don't have the breaking of the skin or the absorbing of the blood or anything of that nature, and so they actually have relations even with prostitutes, numerous of them, and they don't come down with the the AIDS virus. That all of this talk about AIDS being so easily spread among heterosexuals uh, is simply done by the homosexual realm in order to get money fundled uh, into stopping the, the spread of AIDS itself. And they've been so successful that right now there is more money going into AIDS than there is going into heart disease from a standpoint of research. More money going to AIDS than there is into cancer research from a standpoint of, and yet both heart disease and cancer affect many times over the number of people that, that AIDS does. now. I'm not going to, I know that everybody, we've been at it a while, and I'm not going to go any further. Suffice it to say that these are just a sampling of some of the chapters in the book. All the material is documented. It's good information to know. Number one, if you don't already know exactly what they do and their practice and all, I think you should know. Uh, And and the the environmental influences, uh, how important. uh, it is to the way that a child is brought up as to the orientation of that child. It, it deals with that and has good references even to other books. But I think that we, as Christians, if we're going to speak up in this area, we need to do so out of, out of knowledge and out of facts and information and not just out of, a, not out of off the top of our head and coming across as people that are just simply biased in a certain direction. And our claim has always been that the laws of the bible are not right just simply because the bible says they're right but the bible says that because they are right and that they're inherently right and that there are consequences when we deviate from these from these principles anybody want to make any comment or ask any question uh,
2: well uh, this is kind of a comment on what you're talking about with the, the possibility of it being spread through heterosexual means. Someone, several years ago, gave me a copy, a photocopy of an the article. They basically stated the same thing that you said. They they basically stated the whole the whole point of the article was that if you had what they considered straight sex with, with a heterosexual partner, that you were, the, the risk of contracting AIDS was very, very, very low, that it was almost entirely transmitted through... You know, like oral or anal, you know, and those methods—not just normal intercourse. No. With
0: even the oral or is very you know. difficult. It's uh, the even the oral itself, and and is very very difficult. It's uh, it's primarily through the through the anal, and then another thing that was interesting to me on the cost involved to society, is that as a result of the r- way that the homosexuals practice sex that they were costing our society millions of dollars in the hospital policing up the damage. And, I mean, apparently they regularly are hurting themselves and having to go to the doctor, and they have all kinds of problems, and they, they're always running to the emergency room about something, going, going into the practice that they, they actually have. And then even the, the anal relation and the, the sodomy, man, that's just the hem of the garment as to some of the kinky stuff that they do. I mean, every—I mean—I was amazed that everything that uh, anybody could even try to imagine is there, and then some things you probably wouldn't imagine, and it—it's and there. And, and in fact, yeah, it's—it uh, it is, uh, and it's all documented, and it's all so. And see, another thing that homosexuals do—they try to leave the impression that uh, everybody has homophobia and that we're out to bash them and things like that. But the truth is that, that most of the negative feelings that society, that, for example, young males have had towards homosexuals, have, be, have been brought on by the homosexuals themselves making passes at them. And, uh, and he points out uh, there that they fail to recognize how repugnant it is to a, uh, a male that is not that way to have a homosexual make a pass at them, and I don't—I uh, know when I was in the Marine Corps that there, there were cities like Washington D.C. that you couldn't even walk down the street at nighttime, you know, young males, and not and not be propositioned by homosexuals. I mean, it was just—it was just simply an everyday occurrence. Uh, I know that when I visited the, uh, as a very young person, spent a week in uh, the YMCA in Miami. Uh, I went to Miami. And what I was going to do was try out for baseball in the spring, and I was going to went to the YMCA. I thought that's where you'd get in shape, and you'd swim, lift weights, and all that good stuff. And I found out if you take the homosexual tally uh, in a YMCA where they have the dormitory and people stay, you may come up with 50% of them there being, being homosexual. And that was a very unique experience. But again, the problem from the straights' relationship to them has to do with their conduct towards the straight. Oh, another thing you can see, point out from those chapters, anybody that operates with the understanding that Christians are scared to discuss sex, or that it, uh, and like the people that are pushing sex education, try to picture us as a bunch of uh, squares that don't know what it's all about, obviously Moses knew what it was all about, didn't he? And he wasn't backward about discussing it. And the same with the Apostle Paul. And and of course, Paul had a, if you want to get into Corinthians and other passages, he has a whole lot to say. Uh, in the right and also the wrong re- wrong relationship. Anybody else want to make any comment or observation? I'd like to get your observation on something. I don't know what to think of this. Uh, I've heard people actually say Christians actually say that uh, age was brought about on earth because God wanted to punish homosexual. I think we when we do that, we, we say a lot of dumb things like that that can be proven to be not so. Uh, number one, if that's true, how come lesbians don't have it? See, it doesn't, even, it doesn't exist among lesbians. And uh, so that if, in other words, that, that the Bible condemns the lesbian behavior just as much as the homosexual, and yet age is reserved you know, primarily for the homosexual. I think what would be more accurate is that sin has its built-in consequences. That, uh, that obviously, we, we made the statement that the law doesn't say something not to do something in an arbitrary way. That God's law ought to be looked at as a loving Heavenly Father that has given us a way of life that will protect us from destroying ourselves and can actually give us the fulfillment of, of life here. And, for example, when you look at even heterosexual relations in the Old Testament, where they did not restrict their marriage to one man, one woman, until death do you part, look at the, the stories of, for example, Jacob and his four wives, and, and all the animosity and the envy and the, the back backfighting and all the women. Look at David's life and all the domestic problems that he had and the in fact, just about everything that went wrong in David's life was in some way or another tied into his wives and his children and all the infighting that went on there. But uh, no, I think that uh, it's just a case that what they do is a perversion. In other words, the body wasn't designed for animal sex. And so they do it and they reap the consequences of it. And, and I think the same is true when they get into sodomy, that I believe there's consequences they, they reap also. In fact, uh, herpes. Uh, passed on even in the heterosexual realm. It started, first of all, from oral sex and then was passed into the genitals. And there were other uh, there are other uh, venereal diseases that got into the human family through the practice of beastology. And as a result of having relations with animals and the venereal disease got into the human family. But every single one of the venereal diseases, the homosexual things, any of these things we're talking about, in a relationship of one man with one woman, in the way that's set forth in the Bible, there's absolutely no disease that, that, that's even possible. I mean, there's there's nothing there. Anybody else?
2: I think it's kind of interesting the, the way you pointed out that uh, the, the laws are not just arbitrary, and I, I, you can extend those not only to the sexual laws but just to the entire law in general. I mean. You know, even even to such things as you know the fact that they were commanded not to eat pork and so on. You know, we now know that you know pork is is bad with trichina and other other types of things. That if it's not cooked properly, you know, it's it's wow. possible to uh, get sick and die from it. I mean, you know, and, and the other laws. If you go back like that, you can look at, at all the laws that are given there, and they have some kind of a medical basis or other reason. As
0: no. to why they just plain make sense, right? And uh, the uh, interesting too. We have all this big talk about cholesterol and eating animal fat. But I can read the hell, how the Jew prepared his meat. He first of all poured the blood out, and the next thing he did is he cut and burned off all the fat. So the the, the cholesterol was no problem to the Jew because he cut the fat off and burn it off, and he did not eat the fat, nor did he eat the blood, and so what he wound up with was something that was, was clean. He also didn't eat it raw, he ate it cooked. The pagans ate the blood, they ate the fat, and they ate it raw, and they died uh, earlier, earlier, <laughs> <laughs> earlier than they should. And, the, and what the law said, the diseases that were rampant among the pagans were just about non-existent. Uh, among the Jewish people. But given the fact that they had uh, of their knowledge and they didn't even know what a germ was, no refrigeration, etc., you could not live, you could not today come up with a healthier uh, code uh, relative to things you're talking about than what we have in the Law of Moses. And the question is, where did Moses get that information? You know, he sure didn't get it in Egypt. I mean, those people were doing every, uh, the safest thing you could do in Egypt when you got sick was run from a doctor. Any other comments? You guys, any of you that you have the chance, again, I encourage you, uh, get the book. I know that when you're in college, you're busy trying to pass your courses and all. And a lot of times when you have a good source book, just if you don't have time to read it, get it and gleam it, and then at least have it available. If you get into a, any kind of a discussion where you need the information, you've at least got the information available and then read it when you've got time. This, this book reads fast too. Oh, yeah. You, in fact, it's one of those that uh, if, you, if you start into it, you probably won't put it down. I mean, he's, uh, he's an exceptionally good writer, and uh, he moves with facts in a very, very quick way.